Please stand for the reading of the word from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For, as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry for the saints. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It is good to see you here today. Uh, Before we jump into the sermon text, I have a couple of things. First, Picnic in the Park is this afternoon at Rose Park. That's just down the street on South 7th. And uh, we want you to come. As Michael said last week, uh, he's not sure if the bounce houses are for adults. But if they are, uh, I guarantee you he will be in them. Uh, We're going to bring games. We're going to bring fun. uh, But what you need to do is bring food for your family. And then maybe just a little bit more for somebody else that might have need. Uh, so well, we invite you to be here uh, to come back this, this evening. Uh, there is a chance that there might be rain uh, today. And so if that happens, pay attention to your email or social media or the website. Uh, we'll post about 5 o'clock whether or not we need to postpone or not. I'm grateful uh, for the college team that led worship today. Uh, they did an amazing job. And uh, our college ministry has uh, been incredibly exciting this, this year. You know, they're, they're in the last uh, leg of their race. Finals is next week. Dead Day is tomorrow. Uh, and then they're going to kind of spread out to all of the world, literally. Uh, they're going to be sent to a lot of places, some home, some to jobs and internships, others on mission trips around the world. And we want you to know we are so proud of you. Uh, we are so grateful that you're here. And uh, we are confident in what you're going to do. We're confident in who you're going to be. And so we want you to go with our blessing. And we're grateful. Uh, You know, Zane Witcher uh, was our campus uh, minister for many years. And part of the reason why our campus ministry remains so strong a year after he's passed, has left, he didn't pass. Uh, You're dead to me, though. Uh, No. He just abandoned us, that's all. No, he's doing good work. He is, he's an amazing preacher in Round Rock. Um, anyway, uh, after he left, uh, is because he did such an amazing job of structuring the campus ministry. And we're grateful for all of the elders and volunteers, uh, our interns that have done such an incredible job of, of uh, doing this year, uh, serving faithfully. And so we send you with our blessing. I want us to think today about generosity. And namely, um, you know, what does generosity look like to you? And in, in the course of this, this week in preparing for this sermon, I, I looked up the word because I was hoping it would have like this really cool kind of Greek meaning, you know, that, that would give us a new insight. And, and so I looked it up and, and generosity is actually comes from the Middle Latin and it's been influenced a little bit by French. And it just means from nobility which I thought was kind of a wah-wah disappointment, right? I thought it would have this cool background, but it just means like 
Generosity means it's from people that have money that can share. What does generosity look like to you? I want to tell you three stories, kind of like parables. They're all from churches. They're all true stories. Two of them happened here. One was just this past week. There was a a five or six-year-old, a kindergartner, that wanted to give money. They had a handful of change. And they they went to the back of the auditorium where our boxes are, and they, they couldn't reach and so they asked the children's minister, I, I can't, where do I put my money? I can't put my money in. And we realized at that point, like, we've got a problem with these boxes. Some of them are way too high. Um, we're going to pull some of those down. And, and the children's minister said, well, here, I can help you. And, and, and the, the child handed our children's minister 37 cents. And the children's minister put it in the box, and it made this satisfying clang as it hit the box. And the child said, that's not very much. And our children's minister said, do you know the story about Jesus and the fish and the bread? Do you know that our God can take little things and make them big things? Do you know how much your 37 cents is going to change the kingdom? What does generosity look like to you? Sometimes it looks like a hat. This story comes from Freedom a few years ago. There was a man named Gerald who wanted to attend uh, Freedom, and so he called up, but he, he missed the bus. There was some miscommunication, but one of our elders was coming in to pick somebody else up at the place where he lived. And so Gerald asked if he could come too. And so he rode with this elder. It was his first time to Freedom, and he could tell, uh, the elder could tell that Gerald felt a little bit nervous about being in this new place for the first time. But they went and they got something to eat, and then they came in and they, they sat to worship. And uh, throughout the course of the service, there was the time for communion. And this is back when they passed trays. And then there was time for offering. And Gerald began to get a little agitated. He felt a little nervous because he wanted to give, but he didn't have anything. And, he, and, and the elder said, are you doing okay? And he says, well, I don't, I don't have any money. And the elder said, don't, that, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't let it bother you. But it, it didn't stop bothering Gerald. It still was kind of this, this thing inside of him. And as, as the tray is being passed and it's getting closer, the elder leans over and says, well, hey, can I give you some money to, so you can make an offering? And, and Gerald said, no, he didn't want to do that. And as the plate came by, he took off his Dallas cowboy hat and he put it in the offering tray. And then Gerald turns to the elder and he said, I gave him a hat. And the elder said, I know, Gerald. I saw. And then I imagine the, the postscript of that story goes something like this. It's that somebody is collecting the money and counting it and putting it in the bank bag. And they, they come across this hat. And, and I don't know about you, but a hat isn't really like a, a fungible currency. That's probably not the right way to use that word. But you can't do much with a hat, right? And so they came back to Gerald and they say, hey, Gerald, we really appreciate this gift. But I'm sure this hat means more to you than anything we can do with it. Do you just want to keep it? And Gerald was downright offended. And he said, no, that is my gift. What does generosity look like to you? There's one summer when I was home for the first time. I'd been doing internships and other things for every summer, but I came home and I worked 
uh, I worked at a, a curriculum company, and at night I worked at a theater, but I had the chance to just kind of bless my home church, and so I took on a project of figuring out how their small groups were working, and, and if there was anything that they could do to help them, and so I put in a bunch of hours doing that work, and at the time I was driving this Pontiac Grand Dam, and it died, and I don't mean just like the engine had a problem or, you know, the carburetor fell off. I mean, the whole thing died. The only thing it was worth was scrap metal at that point. Just take it to the junkyard and throw it away. I'm not a big fan of Pontiac Grand Ams anymore. <laughs> and at the end of that summer, I had to have a choice because either I was going to ride a Greyhound bus back to school or my mom and dad were going to have to drop me off. But the one thing I didn't have was a car until I went to the mailbox where I was just, you know, at the church. And inside was an envelope with a cashier's check with enough money to buy a car. And to this day, I still do not know who gave me that money. I don't know if it was my home church. I don't know if it was somebody that solved the need. I don't know if it was just happenstance that the spirit moved somebody to say, hey, do this work. What I do know is I was blessed with a very generous anonymous gift. What does generosity look like to you? The other question maybe we could ask is why are we generous? Why are Christians generous? Why do we do this? It's got to be more than just having this space that we can share together, right? I love what William Temple said. Once I heard this quote, it's bounced around in my head ever since I've heard it. The church is unique in that it is the only organization that solely exists for the benefit of non-members. And while I believe that is true, I also have to know that we are not the only generous people. In fact, in my experience when I was in California, I lived uh, down the way from a Buddhist and, and, and that we became friends. And one of the things I noticed about this man is that he was way more generous than I was. And if you paid attention in San Jose, there would be people that had signs that were standing at the, the turn lanes or on corners asking for help. And if you just kind of watched who stopped to give money, more often than not, they looked a lot more Southeast Asian than they did Western. And for the most part, Southeast Asians in, in San Jose were Buddhists. On the whole, my guess is, on the average, Buddhists were more generous than the Christians in San Jose. We're not the only ones that are generous people, but we are unique in the motive for our generosity. Our motive, the reason why we are generous, is because we are the recipients of the greatest act of generosity ever. We are generous in a unique way. And you have to admit the truth if you think about it for just a moment. Everything we have is God's. God created everything. God created all the gold in the ground and all the oil in the ground and all the resources that exist. God created it all. He owns it all. Everything that has been created has been given. And so what we own and what we have is not really ours as much as we are stewards of God's great abundance. Matt Chandler had this line, and, and, and he, it's, it's mind-boggling to think that God entrusts us with stuff. I think this is a point that I want to lay into. God has given you everything. It all belongs to him anyway, but he's going to let you steward it. He's going to let you take care of it. He's going to let you manage it. And the most fascinating part about this is not that God has given you resources to spend, but for most of us, God has given us a life to steward. 
whether it's your own life or someone else's. I remember the first time that my first son was born and I held him in my arms for the first time. Something hormonally clicked in me and I can't explain it other than to say my, the purpose of my life changed from that moment forward. Everything that I did had a new motive because now I was the steward of a young soul. God has given us souls to care for, to nurture to teach what it means to love God and to love others and how to be a person that reflects the imaginative creativity of the world. God has entrusted us with souls. So why is it surprising that he's entrusted us with cash? But this is what we understand. Because of what Jesus did, because what God has given us, we know that there is nothing that will compare to the glory of what is to come. Jesus Christ, who gave up all glory, who became human, not only human, but took on the form of a servant, and who died the death of a slave, because of that obedience, was raised to glory. And that glory is the, the, the we're going to hang on to that. It's the hook that we get to carry that will ride us to this place. We are the ones that found the great treasure in the field. We are the ones who have sold everything else to get that treasure, because we know what it's worth. And so I want us to consider maybe different aspects of generosity today. I want us to think about generosity that's sacrificial. In Acts chapter 4, it says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed anything of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone that had need. I do not want us to miss the connection in these two ideas. Because the Spirit was so powerful, because the apostles were preaching the gospel, because the believers all had one heart and mind, no one had need. In fact, they took things that they owned and they sold them just to make sure that nobody else was in hungry, that nobody else needed shelter or clothing. Now, I've played Monopoly a few times. And I'm not great at it, but I know this much. You don't win Monopoly by selling your properties and giving the money to the other players. That's not how you win Monopoly. That's how you lose Monopoly. And what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is means that we don't play by the same rules as our culture. It is counterintuitive to sell assets. It's counterintuitive to do that, but we don't play by the same rules because we understand the paradox of sacrificial generosity. There's also faithful generosity or cheerful generosity. In the chapter just right after the one that you heard in 2 Corinthians 8, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I am, I am very aware. I am very aware of the compromised position, position, position that I am in standing up here today. Right? Like, your offering pays my salary. And if there's no offering, then there's no salary. 
And somehow we can turn that into a deal that says, well, the only reason he's asking this is because he wants to get paid. That's not why I'm here. And in my mind, all of these sermons, every, in fact, every sermon I preach, when I think through it on like Saturday night before I get up here, man, I am a lion. I am a force of nature. I'm telling you the truth and the power of God is coming through me. But sometimes on Sunday morning, the sermon just like rolls off the deal and slaps onto the platform. And I'm just like, well, if you kind of want to, I guess that's what God's calling you. I feel like that happens sometimes. That's not because of the gospel. That's because sometimes I'm timid. And so let me be not timid in this moment. And if you question my motive, I can't do anything about that. That's your problem. That's not mine. Faithful generosity is cheerful generosity. Paul says, don't do it under compulsion or reluctantly, but give it with a happy heart. And I think part of the reason this is true is because God's not really after your money. God owns all the gold in the ground. If God wanted to create money, God could just poof it out of the air. God doesn't care about your money. What God cares about is your heart, but God also knows that sometimes the way to get to your heart is through other means. And let me take a step back from that because God doesn't just want your heart. God wants your being. God wants all of you. God wants every aspect of you. And cheerful giving is the kind of posture that puts you in a place to fall in love with God. I don't know why that's true, but I know that it is. And so I'm going to say something that feels counterintuitive. I think the elders might get after me for this afterwards, but I mean, here goes. Who cares? Um, If you feel like this is manipulation... Or if you're afraid, don't give to Highland Church. If you are afraid to give, and I get it, inflation is crazy right now. I get it. If you feel like the church system is just manipulating you to take, separate you from your money, don't give. Why would you expect God to accept your, the offering of your resources if you have not offered the burden of your heart. First things first, offer God your fear. Give that gift to God. Offer God your cynicism. Give that gift to God. Lay those things on the table that are holding you back from full-fledged, unadulterated passion of God. Give those things first, and then we can see what happens to your cheerfulness later on. God is, not, God is interested in faithful generosity, which looks like cheerful generosity. I think what Paul says is call attention to your breath. I have this virtual running coach. Um, she's in my ear as I'm running. And she's not actually like in my head. She's, she's like, she's a person. She lives in Boston, but she records these things so I can run better. And, and she knows me really well. I don't know how, but she knows about the time when it feels like my legs are weak and jelly and they want to give out. She knows those times when it feels like my chest is on fire and I'm not going to be able to take another step. And in those moments when I feel like it's about to go out, I have no idea how she knows this, but she does. And she says, pay attention to your breathing right now. Listen to your breath. Pay attention to your breath. And in those moments, she says, in, out, in, out. She says, pump your arms, because somehow there's this magic connection between pumping your arms and lifting your feet. As long as your arms are moving, you can still run down the street. I don't know why it's true, but it is. When you pay attention to the Spirit, when you pay attention to the breath of God, you can find yourself, even when you're in a hard place, 
a place where you do not think you can go on, a place where you're afraid or nervous or anxious to do what you need to do next, to take the next step. The other thing I would say is do not confuse cheerfulness with flippancy. Right? I think sometimes I grew up this in a church that did this, and this has been Highlands practice before the pandemic, that we would offer this kind of offering thought and a prayer before we passed uh, the trays. And, and sometimes I would imagine in my head, like if it was a really good offering thought, I'd be like, yeah, that's good. I should give. Or sometimes if it wasn't a good offering thought, I'd be like, meh. That's not faithfulness. And that's not cheerfulness. That's flippancy. So take some time and decide in your heart what's right to give. My family decides once a year what we give. We look at what we expect our resources to be, and then we set down that number, and that's what we do. We have that conversation one time a year, and, and if at the end of the year it looks like things can be better, then we're going to try to be a little more generous if we can. But don't be flippant about this. Your heart matters too much to God to be flippant. The last aspect of this is silent generosity, generosity that's silenced. In Matthew 6, it says, you know, don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing. And don't make a big show of it when you give, because if you do that, then you've received your reward in full, you hypocrite. And that's striking to us. But instead, do it in secret, because when you do it in secret, God sees what you've done. And God will reward you. And I, I don't want us to get caught up in some sort of formula of like doing something in secret means God's going to give you more. That's not at all the direction that we're going. What we are saying is that the church's practice is to give secretly, silently. In every church that I've worked for, I've made my very best effort not to know who was the biggest giver not to know who were the top 10 givers because I didn't want it to influence me because I want to believe in my heart of hearts that we're all giving as cheerfully as we can, as much as we can to the work that God has tried us to do. Don't see what your left hand is doing. Do it silently. And I don't know how it's true, but it's, it is true. In every church I've ever been at, there's always been someone there that has their eyes looking out across the congregation to see it happen. And it's happened in the last two years, in two difficult years of the pandemic, where someone was driving to church and they had bald tires. And all of a sudden, the next week, they had tires and nobody's sure how it happened. That someone in this church was having trouble making their power bill or their gas bill. And nobody knows exactly how it happened, but somebody paid that bill for them. There are people in this church that are, are giving way above and beyond what you would expect them to do just because they have an eye out for everybody else and they don't want anyone else to be in need. I was part of a church that had an excess at the end of the year. They had more money than they thought they, they needed and they decided they just wanted to give it back to the community around them. And so they, they organized this day around Christmas, and they, they collected everything they could. If they had extra food that they could buy, if they had extra resources that they could share, they had Christmas gifts for kids, everything you could imagine. And they just called the community and said, hey, we've got more than what we need. You come here and you take what you want. And so people came there, and, and if there were bills to pay, that they paid those bills. If there was haircuts to make, they would make those haircuts. If there was food to offer, they would offer that food. And at the end of the night, the most frustrating thing happened. You couldn't believe it if I told you, but here it is. The church had this excess. They tried to do the right thing, to give it all away. And at the end of the night, they ended up with more money than they started with. 
There's something about the abundance of God in that moment. Because neighbors who show up and saw the kingdom of God at work were moved in their hearts to do the right thing. So I want you to imagine, just with me for a minute, I do this all the time. I don't know if you do this. Um, I imagine when I, when I write the check, when I you know, click the button to, to do the auto draft, I, I imagine where the money's going. And I, and, I, and I know like all of the contributions of Highland get dumped into kind of just one bank account and then that bank account you know, distributes the money as our elders have seen fit. But sometimes I like to imagine that my money goes down through these, you know, kind of digital wires and ends up in Myanmar and it feeds children. That's where my money went, right? Sometimes I imagine that my money ends up in Thailand and it's helping boys who are trying to be sex trafficked to get off the street and that's where my money went. Sometimes I imagine that my money went to like pay the medical bills of the staff, the medical insurance of the staff so that one of the children in the, on staff, or the, uh, one of the children of the people on staff, you know, can like get medicine that they need. Do you know where I never imagined that my money goes? I've never once imagined, as I'm, as I'm imagining where, where it ends up, that it turns on like lights. Or like it, it pays for the toilet to flush, you know, 300 times. That's not sexy giving. <laughs> right? Sexy giving is when you put your money into some place, and some of you are looking at me strange, you just hang with me. Um, you, you put your money in a place that it makes this huge like, kind of global impact, right? It's not the lights. It's not the AC. But I want to tell you, even at Highland, even the lights are sexy gifts. There's a group here that comes and meets on a regular basis. They're called King David's Kids. And they use our space free of charge, our air conditioning, our lights, our water, everything. And it's a group of parents that have children with special needs. And the special needs children get to get together and they play and they have fun together. The parents get to support one another. And the reason that happens is because somebody in this room is paying for the lights. It's because somebody in this room is paying for the AC so those kids can get sweaty together, right? In our, in our fellowship life, our life, life of the gym, um, there's a boys and girls club and they meet Monday through Friday anytime the school's open. And they, they come in and they're here for a couple of hours and it's a place for those children to play and they can study. There's even like a scouting group that's there and they can, they can do all those things. It's also so that those parents can work another three or four hours so that they can put food on their table. And I gotta tell you the truth, that gym is very expensive to cool. And we cool it every day so that those kids can have a place. We have the longest operating relationship as a nonprofit with the Boys and Girls Club in West Texas. That relationship has been here longer than anybody else's. Because we believe that's a way that we can work to restore Abilene, to help our neighbors in our neighborhood. I gotta tell you what, the lights in those gym, in that gym, on a Thursday afternoon at four o'clock, it's pretty sexy. God doesn't just want your money. God wants everything. God wants all of you. God wants your time and your talent and your treasure. 
And I think at different stages of life, you have probably different amounts of those things, right? When you're in college, you probably have a ton of time and no treasure, right? You're just kind of this walking negative cash flow. That's all you have. But you, can, you have time to volunteer to do all of these incredible things. You have the summer to go and serve in places that most of us just don't have the opportunity to go. When you're a young family, you may not have as much time anymore, but you, but you have more talent than you had before. You've learned a few things, and you have treasure to offer. And then when you're even older, even though some of us retire, that doesn't mean that you're done. You still have things to offer in time and talent and treasure. And in first service, I preached this sermon sideways, and I'm going to fix it for you. You get the corrected version. What I said was, use what you have in the situation you're in to do your best for God. And that's true. If you have the summer to go volunteer in Uganda and serve children, God bless If you're retired and your expenses have drastically been reduced and you have the opportunity to give more than you you thought you would, God bless. But actually, God wants all of you all the time. And if you're in college, I know you don't have a lot of cash, but if you don't develop the habit of creating a space to be generous to God, it's a lot harder to do it when you're saving for a house. And then if you have two kids, and then if you have student loans, and then if you have kids going to college, right? I knew an elder, he was in California, and um, he decided what he wanted to make in his job. He just decided what that amount was, and he was going to trust God, and he was going to say, you know, God, I'm hoping to make this much. And it was a you know, he, he wasn't like living on, you know, beans and, and, and um, he was, he was, it was a comfortable place to live. He said, this much and after that I'm going to give the rest to you. And he worked for this hardware company that made hard drives and they just happened to be part of the new generation. They're right on the front end of the new generation of hard drives, solid state hard drives. And all of a sudden his product is one of the most valuable products in the world and his patents are some of the most valuable patents in the world. And he asked God in faith, if you give me this much, I'll be good. And then he was making two or three, four, five times as much as that amount. He gave every dime beyond the amount he asked to God. He was the most generous person that you would have ever met. He was the one with his head on a swivel. He was the one that had the discipline to say, do I see something and can I help? You never would have known it from talking to him, but he was the most generous person that I've ever met. And he did it because he was consistent and faithful. And it's not a formula. It's not like, okay, if you, if you do this, God's gonna bless you. If that's not why we do those things. It's not because we, we expect to God give us in this life. It's because we know who God is. And we want to be like God. And that means we're generous in every aspect of our lives. And then this is why I think we, we repeat this phrase. Don't give until it hurts. Give until it feels good. God loves a cheerful giver. And so let me call you out. If you're not giving anything... It's time to start. Start somewhere. Start anywhere. Start. And if, if you are giving, I would like to invite you to have a conversation with your people involved in your budget and see if you're being called to do more to help the work of this church. And I want to end with this. 
Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the gifts that you have already been given. Thank you for the faithfulness that has kept this community of people here for nearly a hundred years. And I have this incredibly privileged position in this church because I get, I get invited into the holy of holies of people's lives. I get invited into the thin spaces in people's lives. And I get to see, I get to witness so much of God's work. I get to see the groom right before the wedding, five minutes before they come on, and we get to have a conversation about that. I'm, I get to be in the presence of a family as they say goodbye to a loved one. And I get to see the joy and the peace that happens from that moment. And, and I, I get access to all these things. And so I want to tell you all of those stories of how God is being faithful to us, how God has been faithful to this church and will continue to be faithful uh, until the end of time. So thank you. Thank you for this privileged position. Do you know what generous means? It comes from the root in the Middle Latin. It's messed with French. It means from noble birth. You are sons and daughters of the king. You are sons and daughters of the king. Would you please stand for our benediction? I want to invite our prayer team forward. They're going to be available to you if you'd like someone to pray with or someone to talk to. Uh, They'd be happy to have a conversation now or, or later this week if you mean to. Let me send you with this benediction. The incredible greatness of God's grace, which has been poured out on you through the blood and life of Jesus Christ. May that grace travel with you this week. May you stay in step with the spirit and the one who gave you life. And may you see the great generosity of God in every breath you take, every moment you share. Be full of God's presence and go in peace.